0: Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the 9 to 5 mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey guys, Lars Lindstrom here with Creative Income. Uh, I just want to thank you. This is really fun for me. I I've wanted to do this, like I've said, for years, and here we are, we're doing it. Um this episode is exactly the reason I started this podcast. It's full of financial information in the creative space. Uh, I've done about 15 films with Chad. I've only met him a couple of times though, um cuz he's a composer and usually hides in a dark cave somewhere and I'm on set. Um but I'm really really glad that I reached out or that he reached out and we made this happen because he's kind of a businessman at heart. I mean truly. And those are the exact kind of people that I'm trying to interview uh, so that you can see that you can be as creative as you need to be and still make really good financial decisions uh, about your business and continue to make money in the space. Um, I I want this podcast to be the source when uh, creatives need a place to go to learn more about their financial options for the future. Um, so let's, let's think about how we can, uh, spread the word, how we can share this podcast. If you can, uh, give it a review on your podcast store, whether it be Apple or Google, um, it helps tremendously and review it honestly. Um, if you think it only deserves three stars cause I have a terrible voice, that's fine. Uh, I would like to know these things. Maybe actually not. If I have a terrible voice, that's probably a bad idea. I might be a little bit offended if someone were to say that, but, uh, tell me if, what you're getting out of it. Um, if you think it deserves five stars, that's great, too. I'd really appreciate it. So um, let's spread the word. Let's tell our friends about it, and uh, let's let's keep it going. But here it is. Um, enjoy Chad, Chad Raymond. He's an incredible composer and also an incredible personality and businessman. Chad Raymond, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is this is actually my first time doing ZenCaster, so so oh, okay. we're actually recor- recording this over the web, uh, COVID times, and we're just trying to figure this out. So I really appreciate you kind of dealing with the um, the learning curve here. Happy to be here. I'm sweating. I'm a little bit nervous because you're an audio guy, you know, and uh, <laughs> and and you Don't started be. saying you know like 44 versus 48, and I had to know what I was talking about. So. <laughs> Uh, But uh, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, what you do, uh, so we can kind of get into that.
1: Sure. Um, So my name is Chad Raymond. I am a film composer and uh, I've been doing it, boy, since 2003. So I guess we're going on about 17 years now. Uh, Grew up in a small farming community in Michigan and, um, you know, started piano when I was five, and kind of did the, the normal music education thing that a lot of kids do, band, theater, all that kind of stuff. And went to college actually thinking I was going to be a, a music education major, uh, teaching band and all that kind of stuff. And I remember the first day we had to actually go in and watch uh, like a high school. I think it was actually a junior high choir uh, rehearsal. And within five minutes, I was like, no way. There's absolutely (laughs) no way I can do this every day. I mean, it takes a special person to be a teacher. And Uh I knew immediately that that was not for me. And uh, the only other two majors were performing, which I wasn't a fan of, um, and composing, which I had kind of dabbled in in high school. So kind of jumped in with both feet, graduated college and uh, left for LA with 2000 bucks and a beat up Saturn. That's it was the, the the quintessential L.A. moment, I guess. Do you remember how old you were when you came to L.A.? Yeah, I just graduated college. So it would have been 22. Yeah, 22. OK, perfect. So I got. To, yeah, I, I graduated in. Uh, no. Yeah, I graduated in May of 2003. Uh, my fiance and I got married that July. We wow. did it. Yeah. 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 Well, I was from a small Midwest town. That's kind of <laughs> how it goes. Um, that's right. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we got married in July, had a two week honeymoon and then, uh, left for LA. Left everything did you behind. have,
0: did you have anybody out here, some sort of like, um, springboard someone that you could stay with or kind of get your feet on the ground a little bit, or was it all just kind of let's, let's assemble this parachute on the way down?
1: Yeah, it was a lot of assembly on the way down. We did, however, have um, a friend of our, a friend of my mom's that had a place out uh, down in uh, Lakewood, down by mm-hmm. Long Beach, yeah. and uh, so we were able to stay with her for. I think we stayed with her for about a week and a half, two weeks, and uh, until we found a place, which was impossible because, I mean, obviously, finding a good place to to rent in LA is as tough as it is, but then, you know, neither of us had jobs. (laughs) We just graduated college. I mean, we had no credit. credit. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. (laughs) And the one thing we had going for us is that, uh, my, uh, my wife was starting grad school at Loyola. So, you know, we had something on paper that said we weren't kind of fly by night people. Uh, but I, I, you know, I got a job quickly. I started waiting tables at islands, down to the nice. promenade. And, uh, I, well, no, I wasn't even waiting tables. I mean, I was, uh, like busboy or something. Yeah. Busboy. Totally. And at least, you know, that brought something in. And, um, so I got that job and, you know, I think, um, yeah, I started playing pianos for churches and you just do whatever you can do. And, after a few weeks, we were able to, uh, to at least get somebody to give us a shot with, you know, first, last and a deposit. And they let us in there. So <laughs> it was tough. So where was your,
0: yeah. So where was your money coming from? It was primarily just that Islands gig?
1: Yeah. So I had Islands. Uh, my wife was tutoring while she was doing grad school. I uh, took a part time job at uh, actually the uh, one of the churches over at, at UCLA. Um, hmm. the Catholic Newman Center over there. And I was able to, I kind of played piano on the weekends and worked with their choir and singers and taught piano lessons on the side. Uh, it, it was, was a, a lot of- this.
0: this is like 2003?
1: Yeah, so this was even, I mean that, yeah. So 2003, and that's the ridiculous part about this move is this was all before the major crash, right? <laughs> so everybody thought they could just move to wherever and get a job. I mean, the idea <laughs> of us doing that now would be crazy. Um, Because yeah. you know people have lost everything, and even you know people with masters and doctorates, and nobody could get jobs. You know, once that hit, and so if we were just four or five years later, it would have been very difficult. But it was '03; we hadn't seen that crash. So moving across the country and finding a job quickly was—it was also us being completely naive. I mean, to be absolutely. honest, also yeah, right. I mean, absolutely. when you're 22, you can do anything. And yeah. my wife Young and, and are- yeah, but my my wife had an art degree and I had a music degree. Oh, boy, <laughs> we're moving to toast. LA, <laughs> right? <laughs> so our parents, I know they were just shaken. I mean, you know, but they were great. Uh, you know, um, they were supportive. Uh, thankfully, you know, we didn't really have to reach out for for financial support. But you know, we were privileged in the fact that that was there, and we knew that was there. Should everything just collapse and fail? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that that comfort allowed us to take more risk. Uh, but yeah, I think it was just, just a lot of, um, being naive. And we both grew up in a town of about 9,000 people. So, wow. you know, getting married, I mean, marriage in and of itself is difficult to figure out at first and then going from 9,000 people to, I don't know, what is it? 10, 12, something million in LA. Mm, yeah. I think 15 or 16. Yeah. 15. Quite so <laughs>
0: At what point did you
1: start um, composing for film? So right away, we moved out. Um, I started doing a lot of student films. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at uh, I went to the the master's program at UCLA and yeah, an, uh, yeah, their animation department. Especially, I did a couple animated shorts, which is a great way uh, to get used to stuff. And when I came out to to LA. Up until that point, everything was pencil and paper and concert halls. Like, that's what my training was in. So this whole idea of, oh, wow. yeah, sequencing audio and MIDI and even video, even even playing music back to video was completely foreign, and I didn't even get my first software till we had moved <laughs> out here. I mean, it, it, looking, looking back, it was stupid. I mean, yeah, why would yeah. I not, you know, well, why would I not figure this stuff out before I went? But... I was twenty two. Yeah, you know,
0: in two thousand two thousand three, I built a recording studio, and I was actually an audio engineer before I became a cinematographer. Oh, okay. And yeah, I was recording local high school bands, and so in the, at the same time, I was I had bought Cubase. I don't know if you're familiar with Cubase. Yeah, and, then yep. I, and then I eventually bought Logic years later, but um, yeah, I, it was my first passion, absolutely. And I and I actually changed career paths when I realized there was no money in audio engineering or music. <laughs> <laughs> so, so prove me wrong, Chad. I'm, I'm curious to, to talk to me, talk to me about, um, how you started, um, try actually, before we go there, I I'm curious, yeah. do you think that getting your master's degree in in art, uh, or music, um, was worth it and yes. Why?
1: Yes. I'd say, well, here's the reason also is because I got it way later. I didn't get my master's just about three, four years ago. Um, And and the reason was, is because at CSUN Northridge, which uh, is a great music school to begin with, they have this program called music industry administration, and it's taught by professors from the marketing department, uh, from the law school, from the business school and from the music school. And so It's not a music degree in a sense where, uh, you know, we had an entire class of just music law. We had an entire class of uh, marketing and branding and um, entire class about like management. We had a whole summer where we did just accounting and looking at, um, you know, spreadsheets of what Film producers and record labels—the uh, kind of stuff they're looking at and digging Incredible. down. Into it. Yeah, it's a great program. And so, you know, for me, I reached a point in my career where I was making a living. I felt comfortable, uh, family. I mean, everything was was going well. But um, I I wanted to make sure that I knew what red flags to look for, not necessarily that I had to fix things or no. um, But but just to at least be able to spot a red flag, because I got screwed, you know, a couple times in my career, I think we've all had those moments. And, uh, you know, even in our law class, you know, she was very clear in saying, you know, we're not here to make you lawyers, but we're here to make you know exactly when you're supposed to call a lawyer and so but the same thing with accounting like we're not here to make you cpas but we're here to make it so that you can spot something so you know something's a little off here Um, that's brilliant man i wish i wish that were requisite in high school honestly not necessarily for the arts
0: obviously but uh if if there could be some sort of i don't know my my whole thing is it's okay to be passionate about something don't think you need to become you know a dentist if you're passionate about music right? right like figure out a way to monetize your passions uh and so i always when people ask for advice on school i usually say go to school and get a master's in business so that you can monetize what you're passionate about 100 percent. Uh, yeah so i love that that was like a requirement for that uh, degree that you you had to go through those those accounting and those law classes to kind of be aware <laughs> of that
1: stuff you know, and I'm glad you said that because every high school kid or junior high kid or even college kid who has written me, and since I've gotten in the business, one of the first things I say is even if you're in high school, see if you can just find like a business 101 course at your local yeah. community college, right? Because we don't yeah. get that.
0: And you I know what's cool though is
1: you don't even need classes anymore. There's like, Nowadays, go on Meetup, right. you know, yep. go on Facebook
0: groups and and find a group that's like, that meets every Thursday morning. It's kind of hard to do right now with uh, pandemic times, but uh, like the, the resources are so available and you can just pick their brains and there's an endless source of knowledge. I love talking about this stuff. If, if somebody hit me up and said, Hey, would you mind? And it just happened last week. Call me for an hour. Let's chat. I'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pick absolutely. my brain. I'll give you all the
1: secrets. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, for me, you know, talking about the the business side of it, what I do and what you do in my mind is no different than like what a plumber does. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's we, we, we have a craft. We have something we're good at. Uh, it's all about, you know, uh, how do I how do I market my business? How do I find clients? How do I make people happy? How do I exceed expectations? How do I retain my clients? Um, How do I keep practicing my skills and offer different services? Uh, So, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, I'm a musician and a composer, but I'm a small business owner. Um, (laughs) And my, you know, my, my craft happens to be writing music. Uh, And that's just how I always try to look at everything I do from kind of a small business perspective. And it it took a while to get there. I'm not going to lie and be like, right off the bat, I was, you know, making financial projections and stuff like that. But it's... (laughs) you know, you get to that point where it's like, okay, this is a little bigger than me. Like this is an actual business and I got to start treating it like one.
0: Yeah. Let me, now, can I ask you if, let's say someone offered you a job at a recording studio to come in and be on as an employee for, for, you know, a nine to five, traditional Monday through Friday, nine to five, you write scores for whatever they need that week and and then you go home and the salary's decent. Maybe it starts at
1: 85,000 a year. Would you take the job? Uh, That's... <clears throat> that's a great question I would say no um and and I would come at it from two reasons first yeah, of all I'm I, I yeah first of all I have three kids at home mm-hmm. and so for me right now my time is is worth more than my money because at some point they're going to be out of the house and I'm not going to get that yeah. time back so <clears throat> so for me you know I coached my son's uh, baseball team this past spring uh he's nine mm-hmm. and if I was working nine to five there's no way I could do that Um, But I can work eight to two or nine to two, take a few (laughs) hours off to be with him on the field, you know, eat dinner with the family, which is very important to me. Um, And then, you know, when the kids are in bed, if I got to put three, four, five hours in to make up for that time, um, that's worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Now, when, you know, if you would ask me, you know, 10 years ago, I'll pay you 85 grand to write music, I would have been like, well, hell yeah right i mean i was just in a different space um you know my uh, now with kids it's just it 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 changes things so for me it's it's time uh you know and and also this the second reason would be when somebody gives you a salary and this is true for for most salary positions right there's well no i shouldn't say that not for most salary positions but when you're on a salary, right? There's a limit. There's there's a limit to your growth, I guess. And and for me, for it's being a small, scalable, right? it's exact. That's exact word I was looking for. Yeah. So for me, you know, I can if I need more money that year, I can scale up. I can do this, this, this. If you know, we want to take vacations and I want to kind of ramp down for a couple months, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. Or if I'm feeling you know, when the kids are out of the house and I have more time and I want to figure out different ways to monetize, you know, my IP, the intellectual property, you know, all of that is is open to me. If I'm working under somebody else's thumb, though, it just it kind of restricts me. And I like to dream and figure out new, better, bigger ways to do things. Um, and I think that's a little harder when you're kind of, um, nine to five in it, I guess. I agree a hundred percent. I was kind of probing you a little bit and you answered correctly. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that.
0: Um, yeah, I, you know, I had a conversation with my brother-in-law over Christmas and, uh, and he just, you know, he, he was kind of talking about what I do and he just goes, I couldn't do it, man. I, the, you know, just not knowing what's coming down the road, you know, a couple months out just scares the hell out of me. And I, I kind of said, well, I'll, you know, let me just spin it back to you. You have one employer. Uh, and if, you know, your boss wakes up in the morning one day and decides, you know, he's in a bad mood and doesn't like you very much. That's it. You're, you could be fired. And then your entire source of a hundred percent of your income source is cut off. I've got maybe, you know, 15 producers, directors that I work with, you know, over the years. And if I piss one off, which happens, um, you know that and that person goes away and then you've got more time and you fill that person eventually when you meet someone else and so it's like you know i my source of income is multiple and and that for me is is more valuable than
1: than one one scares me now you know no, like absolutely. the 95
0: it's terrifying and-
1: When I, you know, was first getting, you know, into college thinking I wanted to do music ed, my entire family is teachers my parents, my aunts and uncles, my brother, my grandparents, everybody's teachers. And so music education for me, it was kind of like the family business. It was the no brainer. Oh, Chad's a musician. Yes, but he's going to be a music teacher just because that's (laughs) what our families do. They're teachers. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that was the safe thing. But then when the crash hit and, you know, arts education funding starts just being depleted uh, yeah. from schools. And I have all my friends that I graduated with that were band directors and stuff. And all of a sudden they just get a pink slip and they don't have a job. Oh. Wow. And I just, you know, f- for me that it, it is there's there's something terrifying to have 100 percent of your income stream be from a single source. Um but, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, I have this conversation with my brother as well, because um, my brother and I talk a lot about this stuff and he's a teacher and he, he I, I think what I do to him sounds crazy because it's that whole thing. Like, where's my next gig coming from, where right. he likes the comfort of, uh, you know, every every day he wakes up and he knows what he's doing. But on the flip side, what I find fascinating is that in the teacher world, right, there's a cap on how much teachers can make, you know, so he could be the most amazing teacher in the world. And he, you know, there, there, there comes a salary cap. Yeah. Just, yeah it, right. You're just depending done. on where he's living. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And, and he could be the worst teacher in the world and, and, or he could he be teaching next to the world and making the same amount. Like, so for yeah. me, that blows my mind. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's no striving for excellence. Um, and right. I know people do it for their own reasons, but, I don't know. It it just seems like there could be a lot of coasting there. And I don't
0: know. Let me ask you another question. How much um, of what you do do you think is talent compared to business? Are you successful because you're talented uh, or are you successful because you return phone calls and you keep up relationships and you run a business?
1: Um, You know, I would have to say business because I think there's a lot more talented people out there than me yeah. that are not making it um you know i mean i've heard yeah. people uh, remarkable stuff and i'm like why Why are you you know and then you go to the website and you're like oh that's why right <laughs> it's you know there's just this uh no this, yeah yeah and you know i think a lot of what i've gotten has been cold calls uh, networking mm. events, that kind of stuff. I have never gotten a gig because somebody went to my website or SoundCloud or something like that and listened to something and called me. Um, mm. it's, it's never happened. And I think that's one of the big um, things that I hear people who are just starting out in the business is there's this idea where I make amazing music, somebody will find out about it. And mm. there's just too much damn noise out there. Like there's yes, just, there is. Right,
0: I mean, there's tens yeah. of thousands. I always tell I always tell directors I'm a dime a dozen. You know, what well, it because yeah. like, it's true. It's like you're in Los Angeles, dude. Like I am a dime a dozen. This city is yeah. full of talented DPs. So it's like you you could you know it's like it's I don't do this because you don't hire me because I'm the most talented DP. Obviously, I've got talent. There's things there, but you hire sure. me because of relationships.
1: Sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I guess it's also, and you know this more than I do, because you're actually on the production side of things where you're around people a lot more. But it's also, <laughs> you know, do, do you want to hang out with this person? I mean, that's, yeah. such, that's such a big thing because, you know, post-production, we don't see it as much. Um, but it's there, like, you know, you can feel that the relationship's just not working. And, you know, I've had it when I've hired on assistants or orchestrators or stuff like that. There are people that are far better that I could have hired in some circumstances, but I'm like, this guy's a dick. I don't want (laughs) to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to spend the next four weeks with him. Um, and if the next guy does 99.9% of what he can do and he's a blast to hang out with or she, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with that person because we're going to be down in the trenches and you know, I got to be able to laugh with this person and you know what I mean? Like just hang out with this person and get through this and not have to put up with your shit while we're (laughs) getting through it. Absolutely. Talk to me about um, your, your
0: different revenue streams now. Now that you're, you've, you've been composing in the industry, you're making those short films at UCLA uh, for maybe other students, um, you're starting to get a little bit of a reputation. Maybe people are graduating. They're starting to hire you think for things now. Um, are you just making money from composing
1: for films from people you know? Talk to me about some of your different revenue streams. Are we talking about right now or before?
0: Let's talk about uh, right now.
1: So right now, uh, revenue streams <laughs> – I just did the numbers because I was doing year end stuff. I think about, yeah, about 70, anywhere from 70 to 75% of my revenue right now is from royalties. Wow. Break that down. Explain that for me. Yeah. So, um, so, I'm trying to think of the best way to. It. So, we have a, 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 ASCAP and BMI, which are the two biggest performing rights organizations. And basically, mm-hmm. what they do is they go to the networks and they collect money from the networks that gets distributed back out to composers every time a film or a TV show is aired that has our music on it. Mm -hmm. so uh that payment is made to both the publisher and the composer so i receive 50 percent and then the publisher which 99 percent of the time is the production company they own the publishing rights to it oh wow um because it's um uh like a work for hire agreement so i'm essentially working for them and anything i create is under them uh so uh you know networks will pay into this massive bucket and then us composers and the publishers will get um for every minute of music a certain amount depending on the network so for That's instance incredible, yeah so for instance like NBC, cbs abc those are the shows you want because those yep. are you know 10 20 times the per minute rate that uh you know lifetime hallmark stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and some tv stations aren't uh, what do they call it? I think the words they use just surveyed. They're not surveyed. In other words, they don't, um, for whatever reason, for whatever agreement that they have, they don't pay on a per minute basis. Um, but most are, of them do. Are streaming services surveyed? Uh, yes, they just started. Boy, two three years ago. Um, it Wonderful. is yes uh, for us. However, it's it's fractions of cents, fractions of pennies um, for now. Yeah, Do you see now. that going up in the future? Um, I don't know. And here's one of the reasons I don't know is because there was a huge thing with Netflix a while ago where Netflix was actually getting composers to sign on to basically buy them out. In other words, say, we want you to sign this contract saying you're going to work for us and we're not going to pay ASCAP or BMI. So you will not get any back end royalties. Hmm. Um and what we're running up against is like we talked about before the dime or dozen there are thousands if not tens of thousands of composers that are just starting out that would be like wait I can write for a Netflix show I don't care you know yeah, I'll sign right. on whatever line you want um but what I think they don't realize is and I don't think I don't think I'm in the minority now I know I'm not in the minority in terms of revenue stream that I think most composers a majority of the revenue stream is um, back end payment or it's not back end payments, but royalties, royalties from yeah.
0: shows. Yeah. That's fascinating. You know, as a cinematographer, I don't get royalties. I, I don't. I don't own the image. <laughs> I wish maybe in the future, maybe in the future they'll go. No, that's your art. Those are your. Those are your still photographs. Just twenty four right. every second of them. Right. And that's right. um, yeah, and uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, because because it's kind of like a pension almost built in. Yes. You know, it's like the more projects you do, but yours is kind of unlimited. Because if if you do a whole career of projects, then you're your pension just goes
1: up and up and up and up. Yeah. And, so there's, uh, so, so there's two things. I mean, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to get with royalties. Um, I don't know. It's you news news do you to want me, to me. So <laughs> yeah, you, you, you tell me, all right, I'll tell you, then you just tell me when to stop. Cause I can go on and on for, this for a while. So with royalties, so like, let's say I do a, a, a lifetime film. You know, mm-hmm. it'll air domestically normally for the first year. And so about three quarters after it airs, then I get the payment for that. The following year, a lot of times it will go over to kind of um, the bigger overseas international markets, uh, France, right. uh, Spain, UK, stuff like that. And then after that, then you start seeing royalties from, you know, Nigeria, Bolivia, mm-hmm. um, those smaller markets and so i have films from i have this one film it was one of my i think it was the first film i've ever had on tv it was the dog who saves christmas from 2008 (laughs) it was this tiny little i mean at the time it was abc family i think that's like free form now or something and uh i'm still seeing checks from overseas (laughs) to this day now they Mm -hmm. went down to like sometimes it's like uh you know Norway sends me a seven cent check or something. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's like some of those ridiculous actor commercial. Yeah, the postage is like 10 times the cost. Right, of- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, those do happen. And so in terms of my career, yeah, the the, the 70 to 75% of, of royalties is great. But what happens is every year, if that bucket isn't continually filled, right, that starts coming down. It diminishes. Got right, it. so yeah. I'd always just think of it kind of as a funnel. You know, I have this this salary that I can pull from that includes that revenue source. But if the funnel mm-hmm. isn't continuously fed and that gets depleted, then I got to start shifting where the revenue comes from.
0: Yeah, interesting. So I guess the the you just kind of want to get on a TV show, something like uh, I don't know, what's a like Grey's
1: Anatomy, and so you can be set for life. You know, I I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to repeat it because why not? Is um that uh, the guy who wrote the theme to Seinfeld is kind mm-hmm. of one of the biggest moneymakers out there? You know, everybody thinks of you know some of the bigger TV shows and stuff, but I mean, think of how many times you hear that doo <laughs> doo thing from Seinfeld. Like, it's on <laughs> hundreds of TV. I mean, every time that plays, you oh, get a, a little sl- a slab base and you're set for right? life. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just insane to think about. You know, Harry Potter and Superman and Avengers, like all these amazing. <laughs> things and the guy who's making the money is the base guy from Seinfeld. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, so so 70-75% of your income's coming from royalties. Uh let's let's yep. break down the other 30%. So the other 30%, I would say about 20% is upfront fees, 15 to 20% upfront okay. fees. So that's what a production company will pay you. Do me. you
0: how do you I'm I'm curious how you um how do you price yourself when you let's say, let's say lifetime calls and uh, they say, we've got this film. We want you to compose it Uh, to a 90 minute feature. Um, Are you, are you by minute? How do you, how do you charge for something like that?
1: So the, the, I hate saying the word going rate, but uh, what's kind of the most understood rate for um, composers is it's one to 3% of the, of the budget. The entire production budget is, is spent on music. so Mm -hmm. how that breaks down however is let's say I get hired on but they also want to use you know four or five source cues you know that they have to license from a band or something like that that all comes out of the one to three percent budget Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and sometimes I can eat it up so I don't even really see what that budget looks like it's basically I kind of look at what the film costs and if what they're offering falls between that one and three percent I'm just You know, I'm taking it if it's on the lower end, like if it's one or if it's right below one, one of the things I'll definitely look at is does this production company have a history of getting this out into the market? Like, will it see TV time? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because a project can easily whatever I make up front can be five, 10, 15 times that over the next 10 years. And so well, if I know that I can have that money coming in, I, you know, I I don't mind taking a 10, 15, 20% hit up front. If yeah. I look at the project and it's like an independent festival film, let's say, which might do amazingly well in the festival circuit, even if it does theater, because composers do not get royalties if it's in the theater. Um, any theater. Any theater. in the, I'm sorry, in the United States. Okay, so... so. But Harry Potter, let's say, we, you brought it up. Yep. I didn't, I, I'm not Harry Potter sure. fan. You, you
0: brought it up. Uh, John Williams. Is John Williams not making royalties from Harry Potter?
1: He will not make a royalty what? if it's shown in a, th- a U.S. theater. If it is shown in an international theater, he will make money. And if it's shown on okay. TV, he will make money. He will. Got and, it. Interesting. And he, I think he only scored the first two films. My whole fan. I have not read the books, but my whole family is like <laughs> Harry Potter fans. Um uh-huh. I think he only scored the first two, but if the composers after him used the Harry Potter theme, then his name royalties. would be, yeah, he will get royalties on that.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah,
1: All right. So, so, so
0: let's say, so if we have a, a million dollar film, lifetime yeah. calls, and they say we've we've got um, anywhere between ten and thirty thousand dollars, but let's yeah. say of that thirty thousand, because it's you know it's like they they want it to stand out. Maybe they're spending fifteen thousand of that thirty on uh, licensed music for other bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so fifteen grand uh, is is that a pretty good rate? It sounds like a good rate for a film.
1: Yeah. 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 How would long would it
0: take you to score on average a film like
1: that? Um, I, if I can get four to six weeks, I'm happy. Uh, but I've done it in just under two. That's Um, incredible, man. Well, you know, at that point, what I have to do is I have to rely on my team. Um, and I have, you know, so I have, I have an assistant that works with me on and off. And, uh, you know, I have a person that I can call to do music editing, a couple guys that do orchestration, a mixer, audio engineer. Um, and if it gets to the, and actually I have three or four buddies who we've all kind of helped work on each other's films for. And so if it gets to the point where I have, let's say, you know, 13, 14 days to write 60 minutes of music, again, coming back to my conversation with my kids, like time for me is, um, you know, paramount. Uh, and if what happens at that point is then I will, I, I'll, I'll take the money and I'll kind of break it up and say, okay, I'm going to pay you to do 15 minutes of music. I'm going to do 40 minutes and then you over there, if you can just take like the last six, seven minutes or something like that. And then I'll give them direction or notes or
0: just kind of like I want it to feel like this or sound like this. Or do you have how do you how do you communicate with them?
1: Sure. So I come up. I'll come up with all the themes. Um, I I'll come up with all the themes. Kind of all the textures we're going to use. Uh, it's I I rarely will turn it over to them and say just come up with something um, because yeah. it's all still got to be in the same world. And I'm yeah. way too yeah. protective of my names on it to just kind of yeah, have it. should be. You know, go anywhere. Um, but you know, there's. Uh, There's a lot of stuff like if I know a scene is just going to get drowned out by dialogue in the final mix and it's not going to stand out and it's kind of inconsequential wallpaper. I hate saying that, but, you know, (laughs) if that's just what it turns into those are the scenes. (laughs) Right. I mean, those are the scenes I'm just going to kind of turn over and be like, listen, here's the themes we need to get out of the way. You know, I need you to hit this, this, this. Um, And, you know, rarely do I take anyone's V1. You know, I'm, I'm always going back to them with notes, but the nice thing is because there's, you know, three or four of us that have done this for each other. We're, we're very sensitive to how the other person writes. Um, and we've all done lifetime movies. We've all done Hallmark movies. We've all done film festival mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so we kind of know, Hey, we're doing this coming of age drama, low budget indie. It's like, okay, we kind of know what they're going for, or Hey, we're doing a Hallmark Christmas movie and we all know what they want um yep. sorry about able to lots kind of, of jump on that. Lots and yep. lots of bells. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Twinkly things. Yeah. We. How many films have we done
0: together? I feel like we're in the fifteen range, right? I think so. I think you. Yeah, I think you have one more. I came on. I came on for Neighborhood, uh, the Neighborhood, and uh,
1: and I'm trying yeah.
0: to th- think how many films we've actually been like like that I've shot and that you did the music for, and we've only met probably a couple times, times. Premieres. yeah premieres yeah premieres and and so i i always think it's so funny we've done so many films together so many projects and i hardly know you man right so, it's the same thing like with the editors. Had, <laughs> if you weren't so friendly and and hadn't come up to me and introduced yourself at one of the premieres i'd
1: have no clue who you were well and, that's, just, uh, that's not how composers yeah. are like we're stuck in a room all day it's like oh people i should <laughs> like talk to them and get yeah, to know i'm really movie. glad
0: you did man you, you seem super <laughs> rad I, i'd love to I, cause i've got two little girls how, how old are your kids uh let's see i got six nine and eleven okay so a little bit older i've got a i've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old but uh that's still, a drill They should be friends yeah i know That's a trip man yeah yeah it's a lot of fun but anyway uh, yeah so i i am yeah. actually i wanted to ask you i saw a little video um we did a film uh, called Dashing in December. It was a uh, yes. Paramount uh, or Viacom film and it aired on Paramount and a few other networks. And it turned uh, out did so very well. It did. It turned out uh, wonderful. Uh, I was, was so happy with the music. I was happy with the way it looked. I was, you know, I just, I was, it's a really beautiful film. But um, there's a, a, a short video, I wish it were longer, um, <laughs> of you uh, or somebody directing an orchestra, probably yes. a third person orchestra. Yes. Um, that was amazing. I thought that it was only coming out of like like $60 million movies. How did, how did you pull that off on a budget? I talked to me about that.
1: So, well, a couple things, first of all, the, the orchestras in Budapest and okay. this is a common thing that composers do. Now, um, you know, one of the big things being uh, you know, the AFM, I, I'm going to get hate mail with this one, but uh, the American <laughs> Federation of musicians, they have some very specific things that need to be included in contracts Um, and so unless you're kind of on one of the big films, it's a little tougher to get the smaller films to sign on to their agreements because it's a lot of back-end payments that then the production company is on the hook for. Mm -hmm. Um, now there are ways around it and all that kind of stuff, but with Dashing in December with the schedule and everything that we were pushing up against, uh, it just wasn't an option for me. Um, so Budapest is kind of the, the next place that I go and it is way more affordable than yeah than people would think.
0: So how much? So so how long was their session, and
1: how much did it cost? So they, I got uh, let's see, I got about fifty. I think it was just around fifty players, <laughs> and we recorded for three hours. I'm just trying to do the math. No, I think we actually did it in two hours. Incredible. Um, We did it in two hours, and I spent, I want to say about somewhere between three and four grand. That's absolutely mind-blowing to me. It's insane. Because I'll try and –
0: I'm brand new to podcasts, but I'll try and figure out a way to – Link the post yeah. in this episode because it's spectacular. And it, I mean, it was like, and they were super pro too. And the, I mean, it shows in the film, the music's gorgeous. And I kept thinking to myself, gosh, is this how far MIDI has come? Just the, you know, like the <laughs> virtual instruments. Like I didn't realize it was composed by a 50 person orchestra in Budapest. Uh, and for a couple, a few thousand bucks, man, it, it really was just mind blowing to me. That's fascinating. I
1: appreciate it. You know, I mean, it, it, it does take more work because if I just do it in the computer, all I have to do is hit print, you know, prints away file and I send it over to the editor or the, the Mm -hmm. dub stage, you know, with, uh, with an orchestra, I had to, you know, uh, have my uh, an audio engineer work on it, and um some other things and and I'll be frank, I put some of my own money into this because we did hire some guitar players and and some other stuff but <laughs> yeah. for, but for me, it was my first time working with Paramount. It was a film that and I spoke to the director Jake about this like it was yeah. just it was a film that needed to be done right. It, it yeah. needed to be done in a certain way. And after I saw the first cut, I was like, I can't put MIDI against this. Like, <laughs> I just feel it would ruin it. And, yeah. you know, so yeah. so for me, I, I I called in a couple favors on my end and, mm-hmm. you know, called Budapest and we did what we had to do. And and yeah, I did invest, um, you know, a, a good part of my creative fee into it. But I think, you know, this comes to the business thing too. Okay, I could have kept a certain percentage of the creative fee, and just been like, I'm keeping it all and doing it on MIDI or mm-hmm. now selfishly. I mean, it wasn't all altruistic. I mean, selfishly. Now I have this great video. I have these great recordings. Um, and it allows me to go to other directors and producers and say, Hey, listen, this is what I can do. And this is what I did for Paramount. And Absolutely. that's a lot. And- and it ahead shows,
0: ahead. man. Like if you go ahead and on, like go check out the movie on IMDb, look at the reviews. Like so many times people were like the score, the score, the music, the score. And a lot of that came from like the the supporting music from the other bands and things that were in it. But, but I, I think absolutely people noticed the score
1: and the music and how beautiful it was. But I think that's the other thing too because they got so many great songs – like, you can't play Shania Twain and then put, like, my <laughs> shitty MIDI, right? I mean, like, that would have just made MIDI. it worse, right? That would have made it worse. That's, that's the name of my electro band, by the way. <laughs> but that was it. When I started seeing what some of these source music was going to be, too, it's like, oh, like, the the chasm between mm-hmm. a highly produced, you know, record, a highly produced song next to what i'm going to be able to produce without a live player is mm-hmm. going to be obscene um and so that's where i really just kind of had to start racking my brain and looking at the numbers and making phone calls and figuring out how do i make this work and um yeah, yeah uh jake and autumn uh margaret stephanie all of them over there were were very supportive and um, yeah it, it worked out well i was yeah. happy with it
0: so I think we got ten percent left of your budget, right? Five to ten oh, percent. Where's that coming yes. from?
1: So the last ten percent is basically what I would call licensing. Okay. Um, you know, I've done stuff for trailer uh, for um, you know a company that writes music for for trailers, um, commercials, uh, ads, stuff like that. And a lot of that isn't necessarily stuff that I've written. This is stuff that I have out in music libraries. Um, Got it. So the music libraries are constantly pitching. They take a percentage of, of what comes in. Sure. It's um, like a 70-30 or something like that? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the good ones are 50-50. But yeah, some of them are getting to 60-40, 70-30. Okay. But I'd say, yeah, the remaining 10%, it's almost like a miscellaneous. It's like, hey, your music was used in this this uh, you know one of these videos exactly <laughs> i wrote this track when i first i think I, when i said when i first moved out i was trying to figure out how to use sequencers and all this kind of stuff and i remember one of the first tracks i wrote was this quirky little 30 second thing and i was just like trying to figure out the instruments and i had all this music of me just experimenting and i just put it out in the music libraries and was like whatever and i started getting this as cap check And I, I can't remember, it's like Croatia or somewhere. (laughs) And it's like, all of a sudden I'm seeing like a thousand bucks here, a thousand bucks here. I was like, what is going on? And of course they tell you what the TV show is, but I can't read it because it's all in, you know, whatever language (laughs) that I can't read. I did some digging and it turns out this weird 32nd thing that I wrote in Oh three was being used as the theme song for some like, Re, uh, what reality magic show in Croatia? I mean, just something super random. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, and it was weird. I think I, I mean I want to say it got close to about ten grand, and it That's was some- amazing. 30 second
0: thing thing you wrote yeah I always I wonder about that too because I obviously the theme song to my podcast that I just like went on like one of those those like music bed or something like that music sites and listen to something I was like yeah that's good enough And I and I you know bought the license for it and I just I wonder like is that person gonna listen to this podcast at some point and go hey I wrote that maybe you wrote it Chad I
1: don't know (laughs) yeah No, it's, you know, and and I think that comes back to our earlier conversation about, or or when we said something about work for hire and working under a salary, you know, these kind of things for me, from a business perspective, I'm constantly looking out on how can I capitalize on my IP, on my intellectual Mm -hmm. property. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the amazing things that happened at my master's program is one of the first days we put up just... It was a huge whiteboard. And and the question, the first question that they ever asked us is, how do you make money off of music? And I thought, oh, man, I got this. Like, I had like seven or eight things. And we had over 70, 75 things up there. And I was looking at that list thinking, this is why I need this class. This is why I need this master's. Because I don't even, sometimes it's the whole you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, there was all these opportunities that hadn't even crossed my mind on how to capitalize on an asset and i had to start looking at my music as it's an asset and i need to be able to get it out there and it's if if it's sitting on my shelf it's not making money so where are the avenues that i can put it and sometimes it's super random eastern european (laughs) magic show is like you know you just never know
0: Okay. Let me, let me ask you this now. Um, yeah. Now that you're making money, you're doing well, uh, yep. money's coming in, you got 75% uh, royalties. Um, are you, are you, what are you doing to keep that money around? Are you investing it in different things? Are you doing uh, real estate or stocks or anything like that? Something that's growing your money?
1: Yeah. So um, my wife has her own business as well. And so what we both do is, one of the best things I think we ever did was we each set up our um, SCP which is yeah. our individual is IRA, yeah, yeah um, IRA plan, and the reason I like that is is um, twofold. As opposed to four hundred one k, where which isn't applicable to us anyways because we don't have access to that because we don't have an employer. Mm-hmm. It's completely it, it's self directed. Like you can you know you can just get invested ETFs. in anything. Yeah, right. you can get individual stocks, ETFs, index funds, whatever you want. But what I love about it is. You don't have to make those contributions before the end of the year, right? You can back back rate it. Exactly. You can do it up until you file your taxes. So what I love about it is if we have a great year, our CPA will come to us and say, okay, you either got, you guys had a good year and you either have to pay the government X amount or just put this much more into your SEP." And And, and it grows in retirement and you pay taxes on it when you retire. Yep. yep. And so it's kind of a no brainer. It's like, oh, I can give, you know, I can give, what, 10 grand to the government or I can, you know, write a check to myself, essentially, for this much money. Yeah. Um, and so for us, that's been a great way to kind of offset good years. Um, and, you know, the bad years, you don't have to worry about it because you get a check back. But <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Me, so and um,
0: one other question kind of related to that. Yeah. Uh, how do you set up your business? Are you a uh, sole proprietor? Are you S-Corporation? Probably not S-Corporation because you, you uh, do your own SEP IRA.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, I'm just an individual. Uh, just a, uh, what do they call it? Single LLC. LLC. Yeah, yes. But yeah, you know the LLC is really there for protection. Yes, yeah, so it's not um, a it's not a taxable entity. It's just a. It's like a you, you're an LLC under a sole proprietor. Correct, and yeah. you know I am getting to that point where my CPA and I are having that conversation as to kind of taking it to the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for right now, the LLC is working, and um, yeah, I, I'm. Uh, you know, I have for me, it's a lot about also it's protection to the yeah. LLC and I have um, errors and omissions insurance and all that kind of stuff, because you, you just, with the music industry now, everybody can sue everybody if they think you wow. stole their melody. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's terrifying when you look at some of those court costs. So, so yeah. any shield that I can put up between me um, and, and a family is a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Individual stocks, you know, I'm getting more into that the last five, six years. I don't know if you've, um, I, I love listening and following uh, the Motley Fool, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it's you know, not I, they're good. they're a little bit more stock picky, and yes.
0: and I'm just not like I, I tried that and uh, I did okay. Um, I didn't do as well as the S and P 500 overall. Gotcha. And and that's where you know I'm just like. People ask me all the time, like, what stocks? What stocks? And I, and I really just go, index funds, man. Index funds, they're super cheap and they're reliable. It's the top 500 traded companies in the yep. U.S. And you, you can't lose.
1: So for us, yeah. So for us, we have a lot of money in index funds. Um, we have it in specific ETFs. Uh, so, you know, one of the ETFs we have is on, like, uh, financial technology. So it's an ETF that follows, you know, Square, PayPal. All mm-hmm. those kind of stuff. Um, and then we do pick stocks a few on businesses that we know we just use a lot of. Uh, you know, yeah, smart Costco, Roku. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, our daughter became a vegetarian. So that's what is another whole podcast. But um, so <laughs> you know, we invested in Beyond Meat, which did really well for a while. It um, did. Yeah, so I got. I bought Beyond Meat at like I thought well, it was like fifty dollars a share. Yeah. Fifty, dollars <laughs> yeah. forty Sounds maybe, like
0: hundred and ten or hundred twenty. Now, yeah, it went up to it went up to two hundred. I actually sold it when it doubled. Oh, so nice. I think I bought it at like fifty and I sold it at a hundred, and then it went up to two hundred, and I was kicking myself. I was to,
1: yeah, yeah. I and mean, that's the thing is you know for us, I don't uh, we don't do the the time the market stuff. Yep. it's kind that's of smart. you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, because you're always going to get out at the wrong, wrong time. Game. You're going to get in the wrong time. Yeah. So for us, it's totally. you, we're gonna we set it there for three, four years. We see if it's a company we still believe in. Disney, Roku, you should be the hook of, kind of this stuff.
0: podcast. That's the smartest thing that anyone's ever said. No, no, it's just <laughs> that's <yeah>. Motley <laughs> Fool. Like the, the, that's the Warren, Warren Buffett and Motley Fool, right? Where you just like invest for a long, <laughs> long game, and you just let it sit there and grow.
1: Well, and I don't yeah. have time. I mean, also, right? I mean, I don't have time exactly. to be looking at the Your p composer. And all this stuff. right? Exactly. Yeah. But I believe yeah. in this product. I'm going to put it in there and we'll see how it's
0: doing in three, four years. Well, Chad, I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming. I actually learned an enormous amount on this episode and I think it's going to be really valuable for a lot of our listeners. So
1: just um, thank you so much for doing this. Thrilled to be a part of it, man. Appreciate you asking.
0: Well, there you have it. Thanks again so much for listening, you guys. I really hope you get value from the podcast. And this in the infancy stages, I uh, am asking please uh, share, share the podcast. Let's let's find the community and let's uh, try and reach out and just help some people understand a little bit more uh, of the financials from the creative space. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, Apple or Google or Spotify, and uh, if, if you can, uh, leave a rating. And let's uh, let's talk to our friends about it. Hmm? Let's get this thing going. I'm super down for that. Have a good one.